This is Day Beautiful, a podcast that helps readers discover debut authors through in-depth conversations about books, culture, and life. To discover more debut authors, please visit daybeautiful.net and follow Day Beautiful on all social medias at Day Beautiful. Today's guest is a writer, editor, musician, teacher, and Wisconsinite living in New York City. Her writing has appeared in Poets and Writers, Diagram, Essay Daily, Illumina, and many, many more. She also received a notable selection in the Best American Essays of 2016. Her debut essay collection, Tomboy Land, is out now. It's about gender, class, and the American Midwest. Her name is Melissa Falavino, and I'm so excited to have her here today. Uh, we'll jump right into it. Hey, Melissa, how are things going in your neck of the woods? Well, thank you so much for having of me. Course. It's a delight to be here. Um, in my part of the world, okay. Well, I'm in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. New York, and right now there's a heat wave, mm-hmm. and uh, it's super hot, and, um, you know, it's uh, it's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay. Um been trying to balance, um, you know, pre-publication stuff, which has been really exciting, um, and, and also trying to, um, do my best to participate in, you know, um, the world right now and figure out how I can, um, best sort of be, um, be of use. And, uh, it's an interesting, um, balance, but, um, what I'm working on every day. Yeah. I feel like the longer COVID goes on and the longer we keep fighting like police, brutality the world shifts every so we're shifting and it's just it's interesting to find our balance in the world especially when we can't really leave our house i mean i guess we can now but maybe we shouldn't (laughs) yeah it's it's yeah again it's this this strange balance you know i um participated in a couple protests here um you know a few weeks back and um and that I felt like was important. And now I'm just looking at other ways to kind of, you know, things that I can do that, um, that a, you know, don't involve getting together in huge groups. Um, and hope, hopefully going to see my parents soon. So I'm trying to, um, uh, you know, quarantine as much as I can, um, before I see them. But, uh, like last week I went and hung out with a friend who's another writer who's, involved in some mutual aid in Brooklyn. And, um, we did some weeding of, um, some community, um, kind of garden areas. So that felt really good. And, you know, I'm really into gardening and that brings me some, some joy and some peace. And I can't really do that here at my place in Brooklyn. So, um, it felt nice to be able to pull some weeds up and like, you know, use my body and, um, also, help make the neighborhood a little bit better yeah so that was something that was a good thing that's good yeah i feel like finding ways for our mental health to get a bounce and a boost every now and then is is something we all should be doing and and part of what really gets me going is 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 reading new books and new material and exploring new art and and your book tomboy land is an essay collection um tell readers a little bit about it 
Yeah. Um, so it is a collection of essays. It's my first book. Um, and the sort of short and sweet, you know, elevator pitch is that it's a collection of essays about um, gender, uh, class, and the American Midwest. Mm-hmm. But going a little deeper, um, you know, it, it kind of asks a lot of questions about the intersections between um, the body and place and the ways in which the places we come from um, and leave, as the case may be, and often is, um, can both sort of define and complicate our sense of self. And it's also kind of an interrogation of identity in and of itself. Like, what exactly does that mean? And, and why is it so important? And why are we latching onto it um, so much right now? And, um, you know, so I kind of ask questions that I don't really have the answer to. <laughs> and I'm not sure at the end of the book, you get any more answers, maybe more questions, but, you know, everything from sort of uh, gender and sexuality to gun violence, to motherhood, to loneliness, to sex, um, colonization, um, all sorts of stuff. So it's all over the map, really. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, as I read through the essays over the over a period of time, I, I love being taken into different places I didn't think I would be taken to just based on my preconceived notions of maybe what the essay collection would have been about. So that's always a treat. Great. And that's um like the best thing I could do. <laughs> yeah. And then before we dive into chatting about it, I, I want to give you an opportunity to read uh, read a little bit from Tomboy Lands. Sure, I'd be I would be delighted. Um so you know, I've been thinking about this sort of um, this idea of planting and um, and gardening as a way to um, take part in community and this um, um, mutual aid effort um, that's that's sort of cropping up um, in the time of COVID and um, and and so anyway, I've been I've been thinking about that as I always do. And plants are plants and trees are really important to me. And so one of the essays in this book uh, it's called Motherland. It's about um, kind of the decision whether or not to have children, um, womanhood, what exactly that word means. And then it's also about planting and about um, kind of the natural world and my relationship with the natural world, which was instilled in me from sort of my, uh, my mother and my grandmother and the, the Midwestern women who came before me. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll just read... Uh, a short section of that if that's Uh, cool yeah awesome take it away whenever you're ready okay all right so this is from the essay motherland once there was a vegetable garden i helped my mother till and mulch and plant and harvest we grew tomatoes and carrots and cucumbers green beans and radishes and bell peppers it was a small plot our little garden up the hill from our house and past a rusted-out swing set, lined with chicken wire to keep the rabbits out. We weeded and raked the earth, dug holes in the dirt, and laid in seeds and bulbs. We worked with spades, filling the holes with soil and patting it down with our hands. We watered with a hose snaked up the grass from the garage, showering the seeds like rain. I loved the smell of wet soil, the dirt that got stuck under my nails, that pressed into fibers of my jeans and stained my knees. Little mementos I carried with me, reminders of the things we had grown. 
At harvest time, we plucked the vegetables from their vines, pulled them up from the earth. I learned the singular smell of a ripe tomato, the grit of its skin and the red of its flesh. We cut them into thick slices and salted them, then ate them just like that, standing at the kitchen counter. We ate the green beans right in the garden, snapping into their skin with our teeth and sweating in the sun. Thank you so much for reading that. And then that essay, that's like the very beginning of that. And then it also, it continues the next section of the essay is all my friends are having kids. There's nothing new and yeah. not much of a surprise. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, this book, this essay collection, Tomboy Land, it, it really just like bobs and weaves through a myriad of, of topics that I found. That, I mean, they are connected, but it, like I said, it pulled me in just different directions. Yeah. I, when you started writing, like you are a writer, let's just talk about that in general. As a writer, okay. your background, let's, let's just go there because I feel with essay collections, essays are written at different times in a person's career too. Yeah. I guess when did you become, yeah, sure. when did you become a writer, capital W, you were, that is what you <laughs> were. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I guess I've been writing my whole life, mm-hmm. you know, which is probably something you hear all the time, but um, I went to, when I went to college at the University of Wisconsin, I, I went, um, I was a first generation college graduate. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I originally planned on teaching high school English, mm-hmm. um, cause I knew I liked books. Um, and I knew I liked to write about books. Um, but then I took a creative nonfiction workshop and it just sort of like blew my mind apart. Um, and And I remember studying the essay and just getting so excited about this form, like Mm -hmm. this sort of limit, the limitless possibilities of this form. Like it could be lyric, it could be reportage, it could be memoiristic, it could be environmental writing, you know, it it could be a manifesto that like it had all of these possibilities. And I just got super, super stoked about it really quickly. And I I guess I haven't looked back, Um, but uh while I was still finishing college, I got a um, freelance gig writing feature stories for the Alt Weekly in Madison, Wisconsin, called the Isthmus. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was writing about, they kind of gave me carte blanche to write about whatever I wanted. And I was like a 22-year-old kid. Like, what's interesting to me? Um, so I started, I had this beat, and my beat was like writing about subcultures in the city um and in order to write about them i kind of did like the immersive journalism uh method and got involved so that was how i first started getting involved in the bdsm community which i write about in tomboy land um it's how i got involved in roller derby uh which became a hugely important part of my life um so i would sort of like become part of these cultures and then write about them and that sort of set off like my career. Um, I was just interested in writing about communities and cultures and subcultures and trying to learn something about myself and my own, like interrogating my own beliefs and understandings based on what I learned from other people. Um, And that is really, I think, was the impetus of this book too. Like so many of these essays have a personal narrative, but I interview a bunch of people and I talk to other people with varied you know, experiences to try to both shed light on, you know, all of the ways that we are different and all of the ways that we are the same. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but then also to try to make some sense of these questions that I have had for so long. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've, the oldest essay in this book is I drafted like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working on it in fits and starts ever since. I've had a long, like 15 year editorial career in between. So kind of fit writing in whenever I could. And um, yeah, so it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned, um, yeah, and life is a long journey. And, 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 and when you're documenting it about yourself and writing essays, I can imagine it seems maybe longer because you're reflecting a lot on it and, and revisiting parts of your life over and over again. Yeah, for sure. Some of which I would rather not <laughs> revisit. Uh, but it's been good, you know, both to like, I don't know, I've had this interesting experience lately where I wrote these essays without kind of allowing myself to go back into spaces of, of like, like I didn't read journals, which I know a lot of memoirists do um, uh, in part because I didn't have access to them and in part because I, I kind of didn't want that, you know, I didn't want it to sort of like sully the perspective I have now, mm-hmm. but then when I finished the book and like sent it off and it was like, okay, that's it. Can't make any more changes. I was like, Oh shit. What, you know, is this true? Like what's true? And, and then what, you know, is how I'm remembering these experiences true to what actually happened. And I kind of had like a, you know, a freak out about that. And then just a couple of weeks ago, my mom found like a box of journals in my in the closet of my childhood bedroom in Wisconsin and shipped it to me. So I was able to sort of retroactively look at my journals from high school and college. And uh, it was super valid. I mean, it was horrifying, but it was also um, validating. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. I got, I got, I got it right. <laughs> I, you know, memory is such a weird infallible thing. And these things that I wanted to write into, um, even though my memory sucks and, you know, I've probably repressed it a shit ton. Uh, I remembered what was important, I think. How did you grapple with with the idea of truth and reality within writing these essays since you didn't really try to look back for, like, factual documentation? It was interesting. It was like, you know, I relied on... Um, Obviously, I, when I interviewed mm-hmm. people, I relied on them for sort of the, for factual information. I also did a lot of research um, and visited archives and, and did a lot of reading. So there was a there was a huge research component to this book, too. Um, and so like truth as it exists for other subjects, I made I paid really close attention to that and made sure that I got that as right as I could. You know, um, that's just ethically what you need to do as a nonfiction writer Um, for the personal stuff. It was like a combination of memories that I was pretty sure I had. And then kind of using this imaginative narrative to build a composite of, of memory. Um, And, and I talked to my parents and I talked to other family members along the way and was like, is this, is this how you remember this happening? And so you know, for some of this sort of scene driven mm-hmm. um, sections of childhood, it's, I would say, a, a combination of, you know, memories that I have, memories from my family and friends, and then this kind of like, you know, uh, I don't know, amber colored composite. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. 
For sure. And then at the top of this, you mentioned, and I just want to loop back to this, like the idea of creative nonfiction and, and all the different forms that could fall under that. And I'm sure most people who are listening to Day Beautiful, the podcast, understand what creative nonfiction is. But for like an emerging writer who has maybe not heard of it, how would you how would you describe what creative nonfiction is? It's a great question. Um, and I'm actually going to be teaching an intro to creative nonfiction class this fall. So I've been thinking about that, like how to introduce this idea to younger undergraduate writers, maybe who's never experienced it before. Um, I remember like when I took that first creative nonfiction workshop, it was introduced to me as you know, it's kind of used interchangeably with the phrase narrative nonfiction um, or literary nonfiction or whatever. Um, all of these terms, I think, mean the same thing, which is that, you know, you're taking a true story and applying to it narrative techniques, um, formal techniques that might traditionally be associated with fiction or poetry, you know, this kind of lyric quality a narrative quality um, that creates something more like in, in the in terms of like the experience of reading it more akin to a novel than a book of general nonfiction. Um, so you know it's transportive. It has you know scene and image driven. Um, there's dialogue. There's character development. Um, things that might not exist in like you know a history book or um, a politics book or something like that. And then from there, it can be, you know, so many different things, and there are so many different subsets, and that's, that's what's so exciting. When, when, you, when you sit down to write something, I guess, like, what is your process? Are you, do you think about those literary techniques you want to include, or do those just come kind of naturally as you're telling the story and how it needs to be told? Um, that's a great question. I love that question. Um, <laughs> Like, you know, when I sit down to write, I usually just have a question in mind or a vague sort of idea that I've been circling around. And I often, as you kind of um, alluded to, I often, what I really like to do is take kind of seemingly disparate elements. And, you know, so taking one of the essays from the book as an example, like um, sexuality and BDSM, and like food and vegetarianism um, or non-vegetarianism as the case may be. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I take these kind of like seemingly disparate elements and try to combine them in like a braided form. That's often where I'll start um, and, you know, see if I can find a way to reconcile these two seemingly disparate subjects. And, and for me, really, that means like interrogating why I, why I see a connection in them in the first place. Like why, why, for instance, does um, you know BDSM and food have such a, um, in my mind, um, an inextricable connection that might not be so obvious? So I dig into that kind of question and um, connection, and and then I think like in terms of the narrative, it's not really a conscious thing, but it's whenever I'm starting something new, I usually start with a scene um, because it helps me sort of immerse myself in whatever world I'm attempting to inhabit. So for like, another, to use another example, there's an essay in the book called Gun Country, 
where I examine guns, guns and gun violence and rage and violent uh, gender. And, um, and I started with a scene of, you know, I'm, I was on a farm in Ohio in rural Ohio learning how to shoot a gun. And so I, I started with that scene and then the essay kind of took off from there. Um, so then I, you know, will often try to combine scene and image with more sort of, you know, straightforward narrative mm-hmm. um, and have those, those elements functioning throughout. This is a really broad question, which I know is going to have like just a vast different amount of answers, but how long, how long do you spend on the essays in here? I guess, how long was the average you spent from conception to f- the final touches? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems like a lifetime. Sure, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, some of them I like, I feel like I, I, I sort of, you know, vomited out mm-hmm. a draft in like a mad rush and then some of them i i really picked at and picked at over the years like i started with a draft and then spent years and years revising um you know the oldest essay in the book is of a moth um i think i first drafted that in 2011 i think it was maybe no 2010 2010 Mm -hmm. and then over the years just spent time picking at it and and kind of like digging into it a little bit and and that just feels like a like that was a constant process and then some of the newer pieces like um the near title essay in the book tomboy that was one of these things that i just sort of like had kind of bubbling up inside of me and i just sort of spat it out over the course of like two weeks for for me that's spitting it out you know like <laughs> mm-hmm. um and and then and then I went through sort of the drafting and um, revising process, but that pro- that one probably, you know, beginning to end was like two years rather than ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I asked so that. Was, yeah, year scale. For sure. <laughs> yeah, for, no, for, and and I asked that especially <laughs> because as as you're a teacher and and as your mm-hmm. students who are coming into writing for the first time or, or you know their undergrads. I feel like a lot of younger writers, especially when I see things like on message boards, which I, I spend way too much time on Reddit, which is a problem, but like, I feel like young yeah. writers feel like they have to get a draft out like in a weekend, and that's not the case yeah. ever. Or I mean, very rarely. No, you know? no. There's uh, so much pressure to do things quickly, and mm-hmm. I think that like, you know, we're living in a time where because of the nature of the internet, um, if you're on the internet, you like it's impossible to not feel that especially if you're writing about something timely it's like you feel this pressure to respond or add your voice to this chorus or you know get on something quickly so that you can pitch it to a magazine and they'll take it and as an editor of a magazine for a long time you know i can both validate that and say like yeah editors are always looking for timely pitches but i kind of separate you know, freelance magazine culture writing with, um, you know, the kind of writing that I did for this book. So, you know, I'll I'll tell students, like, if you're working on something that you think will someday be part of a book, you know, that you you conceive of as part of a longer project, you know, just take your time and 
don't be, don't feel rushed by the pressure, these external pressures and just allow yourself the space, whatever space you can get to keep inhabiting the space of that essay, because I don't think that we can actually do the kind of writing that we want to do until we have that space to inhabit the idea or the question. You know, if you're just trying to like churn it out, you're not thinking and the thinking is part of the writing process and the silence and like, you know, that, that, that's part of it. And um, so, you know, I, I have students come to me and they're like, I just really feel like I need to get this out in the world. And, you know, my first response is just to be like, do you feel like it's ready? And, and if you, if you don't, you know, if you still feel like you could keep going, keep going. And, and maybe there are other kinds of writing that you can do to kind of, you know, build up your publications list and build a freelance life if that's what you want. Um, but that can be separate from these longer works mm-hmm. if you want them to be. Yeah, and and I feel, yeah, that, that rush of, oh, I want this out now. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like everyone has it, obviously, because it's like, oh, this is like, that's just what the world is like now. But I feel like so much yeah. time just needs to be needs to pass, especially when I do something. I mean, I, I rarely like write outside of like author interviews now. Like that's I've never attempted to like be a writer, I guess. But it's like I, I feel I whenever I did, I would like, like let's get this out, let's get this out. And I was like, here's all the notes back, and yeah. it's like, oh, okay, of course. Like you, <laughs> I have to actually think about yeah. what I'm writing. <laughs> right. Um, you. You wrote for all weeklies. You've 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 been a writer throughout your career, um, and and you've touched upon this about like kind of what interested, like that journalist side of things. But when you were diving into these communities, how did you immerse yourself to be objective about what you were writing about? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think. It's hard to be objective when you're from when you're involved in a community, and you know I think may, maybe that's what separates straight journalism from creative nonfiction too, or one of the many things um, is that you know I don't I don't know if I've ever had a fully objective piece of writing, um, but what I try to do is is if you know if there are sort of like if I have let's say an internal conflict or like warring um, opinions or feelings about a certain subject. I try to look at both sides and, and talk to people who exemplify both of those sides. So that I'm not just relying on my own experience and my own ideas. So for the gun country piece, for example, you know, as someone who is pretty firmly anti-gun um, but comes from a place where gun ownership is very, you know, it's like religion um, and loving a lot of people who love guns. I wanted to approach that subject in a way that was like, you know, offered a nuanced and, and somewhat balanced um, representation of like, this is how people who, you know, think all guns should be thrown in a fire which most of the day, you know, most of the time is myself included. Um, And then, you know, this is what they think. And then this is what people who like cling to their second amendment rights think and, um, and, and trying to, to within that category also represent a spectrum. So, 
people who have different thoughts on gun control, um, mass shootings, violence. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to reach, it's hard to reach a point of subjectivity in writing when like it's inherently a question that's so deeply personal and important. I think the closest I ever get is when I'm writing, you know, something maybe for a magazine about a book or about, a, you know, music or something where I can, I can give both sort of objective facts uh, in sort of, you know, um, you know, balance out the objective facts about a piece of art or a piece of music or whatever with my own experiences. So most of the writing I do is really driven by that. It has that personal narrative as vehicle, even when I'm, even when I'm branching out into kind of journalistic mm-hmm. elements. So. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. I was, I was like hiccuping as <laughs> you finished. I was like, oh, I should like finish this hiccup and, and start talking. So it's not an awkward silence. Um, I, you know, it does. And I feel like, I just feel like writing in the past and I'm not an expert, but like in the past, like five, 10 years has shifted so much and like, genres have been blurred and and the idea of subjective journalism or you know whatever especially in like news magazines or things like esquire gq it's like there's personal narratives told in everything now because readers are expecting something just above the facts because we can get the facts from a tweet or wikipedia or well not the facts from wikipedia but you know like (laughs) there's yeah there's but there's places out there that people think are just just the facts and and I feel right. like to for me for someone to pick up a magazine or or read an article on a you know a website, it takes more than just what it used to take. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I, t- I taught a um, graduate writing class in the spring at um, Sarah Lawrence College, which is where I got my MFA, and it was a magazine writing class, and it was so much fun and. Um, and we talked a lot about that. And, you know, I found that a lot of my students were hungry for sources that they could rely on. And they asked me, you know, what do, what do you read to like get your news? And you know, as, as we become increasingly, you know, politically polarized, the, the resources that maybe we once turned to for what we thought was objective reporting are no longer the case. And, you know, you see those biases everywhere. Um, and, you know, and, and we talked a lot about this kind of um, increasingly subjective um, reporting climate. And then we also tied it back to the personal narrative in general. And, and I think about it a lot. Like, why is that? That we, it's like, you know, we're hungry for personal narratives, even when we're reading the Esquires and the GQs that maybe used to be have features that were more straight up reporting. Um, and I really think it has to do with that, like po- increasingly polarized climate and like the era of social media. Like we are just, we're so hungry for personal connection and we're hungry for nuance and we're hungry for complex stories about a person navigating something difficult or complicated or nuanced, you know, and, and um, we've lost a lot of that because of maybe because of social media, maybe because of the internet, who knows, but we've lost some of that. And 
So I think that people are really like really crave that and it's how we find connection and it's how we create empathy and and I think it's how we reach each other. Mm-hmm. And building off that, do you feel like there's been an uptick in, in books like yours, um, like personal essays or, or memoirs about like very specific times? Because I feel like a lot of my favorite books in the past two, three years have been books like yours. Greg Mania's book is forthcoming, which is... Oh, yeah. And then like Fook Tran, Takara Madden. Like these yeah. are some of just my favorite yeah. books. And maybe I haven't been reading books like this, but... As as like a, a writer editor, have you noticed like a, sh- a, a a new wave of books like this? I think so. Yeah, I think there. I think I think so, and I think it's all related to that. Um, you know, that sort of like thrust toward the personal, and and um, we're also living in a time where identity is a huge subject, and you know, and we want to <clears throat> both. I think we want to as writers, as readers, as people, we're kind of clinging to ideas of identity to make sense of ourselves and make sense of where we belong. Um, so I think that people are writing about identity, um, but also really like writing stuff that interrogates it too, you know, and it's not just like, I am this or this, but I am this multitude of things and aren't we all, you know, like there's this phrase that gets used so like way overused and the literary industry and publishing is like the liminal space, which I think has even been used in like cop- promo copy for my book, <laughs> like inhabits the liminal spaces. And it like, I love that concept, but it like we all inhabit the liminal spaces. You know, we're all, we're all neither one thing or another. We're all this multitudinous, like, you know, I don't know, mountain things. And, and I think that we're really interested in reading about that. Mm-hmm. Have there been, I, I, I rattled off a list of books that I've been interested in that are similar in this ex- exploration of identity. Are there books like that that you've been reading that stick out in your mind? Um, well, I love to hear Madden's book. That was great. Um, you know, such a great memoir. Um, and in terms of other sort of personal, you know, non, I, I read a ton of nonfiction Um I would say the ones that stick out to me lately, the ones that I keep returning to, um, I just finished um, uh, Kiesi Lehman's Heavy. Oh, man, that was such a good book. Such a beautiful memoir. And, like, uh, I just feel like everybody should read it. And I'm going to be teaching it this fall. And um, I like that this such a great example of, of mem- a memoir that, you know, like interrogates these really complicated questions and, and make, you know, as a white reader, like forced me to face things that I thought I had faced, you know, like, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm a good liberal, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, and like, and then I found myself like, having responses that I wasn't, you know, that I was surprised by and that like, it was such a, it was such an important experience. And um, so I love that book. For Um, sure. Yeah. And and I I think, you know, Oh, go ahead. Oh no. I was just gonna say like what you said, like, I mean, we, we mock it. Like I'm a good liberal. I, you know, I, this X, Y, and Z, but I feel like rereading books like heavy and, and other books, especially now after, 
there's been an awakening of sort. It really does make me reflect more on how I've acted and how I thought I acted in certain situations. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It's really important. And I think that, you know, like this is the kind of book too that I can give to my white relatives and I know they'll read it, you know, like I can try really hard to recommend, you know, books of more general nonfiction about anti-racism and things like that. But I have a feeling they're not going to read them, you know, and like this, this is one of those books that I feel like I can give to white friends and family and just be like, read this. It's important. They'll read it and they'll hold on to that sort of personal narrative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, it's just one of those things that I feel like is, um, has the potential to, to reach people who might otherwise not be reached. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. For, no, for sure. And, and you mentioned like this was heavy was a book that you're going to be teaching the upcoming fall when you're when you're working with younger writers. And we've we've kind of touched upon this, but like, what are you looking for? Or I guess like if, if one of your students comes across this podcast, what are like what would help them? What are you looking for from a young writer? Mm. Um, you know, I think the most important thing is is curiosity um, and a, a willingness to put that curiosity on the page. Um, and and what I always tell students is to, you know, who are writing nonfiction, who, who are interested in writing essays, to focus not on trying to like make an argument, you know, or come up with an answer, but instead, try to write into a question. Um, there's a sort of mantra that I always return to um, from Rebecca Solnit that I um, quote in Tomboy Land, which is just about like inhabiting the mystery and being willing to, to write into mystery and inhabit mystery and be okay not coming out of it with an answer. And I think that's what the best essays and creative nonfiction do. Mm. Yeah, so, for sure. Writing into the question. And which is what you're, uh, you mentioned at the top of the hour that, uh, you, the, when you finish Tomboy Land, there may be more questions than answers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I've and, done the, I've done the really like bad thing where I've been starting to look at Goodreads reviews, which I know I shouldn't oh, do. Sure. Um, I am going to have to stop really soon. Um, but, uh, there was one review that I loved and, and actually I think there was a trade review that said something along these lines too. That was like, you know, for people who, you know, are interested in coming away with questions, more questions, you're going to mm -hmm. love this book. And I was like, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's what, I mean, even fiction books, some of my favorite fiction books, it makes me question I, I don't want it to just be over with. I want to interact with the text well past the final page. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Like, the you know, the best creative nonfiction and fiction, I think, does both of that. I'm currently reading um, another, I think it's a debut, um, Boys of Alabama by Genevieve Hudson, yeah. um, which is just a, a great novel that is, like, I'm almost done in it it just it seems to be inhabiting the spaces in a way that i just love like masculinity um class uh religion you know faith um 
and you know queerness and it's just like I am really slowing down as I approach the end because I don't want it to end (laughs) I just want to kind of live in this world of like rural Alabama football god town a little bit longer (laughs) yeah I um and that the boys of Alabama is just, it's a debut novel. And Jen had a short story collection come out a, a few years ago. And I feel like that's just one of those books where you can see a writer, like just evolve instantly. And it's yeah. and one of my favorite books yeah. of the year. Um, earlier, we mentioned good. earlier, I asked like about specifically like memoir types of books. And, and you mentioned heavy, but what are just books that have like other than boys of Alabama that have been on your radar that you finished recently that you keep thinking about? Yeah, um, this one I'm definitely going to be thinking about for a while. Um, another debut that I loved this year, which kind of interrogates some of the some similar themes, is Godshot mm-hmm. by Chelsea Beaker, mm-hmm. uh, which is just like, that book has not left me. I finished it a couple months ago, I think, and I just keep thinking about it. Um, and I, I write about religion and sort of cultishness a little bit in, in tomboy land. And I'm just kind of fascinated by um, books, both fiction and nonfiction that get into that. Both Godshot and Boys of Alabama do that. And um, they really speak to one another, I think. And so I, I have not stopped thinking about that. Um, I, let's see, what else? Um, I recently finished an essay collection by, um, essay extraordinaire Andrew Monson. It's his, his most recent book. I will take the answer. Mm. Um, which is a really great collection. Um, he's just extraordinary. And like, in terms of like, if you like essays that kind of have a really broad spectrum of interest and like kind of go all over the place. Uh, he's your guy. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's really he's excellent, and he and it's it's really good. Um, yeah, those are the ones that are kind of at the top of my, uh, you know, still at the top of my mind. Right yeah, now. for sure. Um, and they all seem to kind of deal with things that you've touched upon in your essay collection. And I and I just want to wrap up by asking, what, very broadly, what's next? More essays, some fiction. What? Where do you see your, yourself? going from here um yeah well you know had you asked me this a year ago i would have said another book of essays um and that's still the plan i've got another an idea for another collection um in in the works just sort of starting to outline it but um in the you know approximate year since i finished tomboy land um something really surprising happened in that i drafted a novel and i did not did not expect to do that it just sort of came uh as if possessed it came out of me um and so i finished the draft of that um maybe a month or so ago and now i'm kind of starting to dig into revisions and that came about um last year when I was finishing Tomboyland, I went back to Wisconsin and lived in a cabin in the Northwoods by myself for six weeks to finish it. And um, it gave me a kernel of an idea for this novel. And I just like started it one night. Um, And so that maybe will be something. (laughs) Um, 
and once I, you know, have kind of finished that in in some way, I'll uh, I'm sure I will be ready to turn back to essays. It's just nice to take a break from the very deeply personal um, and explore fiction. And like I, I'll be writing and it, you know, I'll be writing something that's like quasi autobiographical, and then I'll be like, wait, I don't need to do this. <laughs> I can do whatever I want, um, which is super liberating. <laughs> A super thank you to Melissa Falavino for coming on the podcast today to talk about Tomboyland. You can find her on the internet at melissafalavino.com. Her Twitter is the same, Melissa Falavino. And her Instagram is just a little different. It is Lou Falavino. Um, so check her out on all of the social medias and her website. A very special thank you to my friend Raquel, who is letting me use music from her brand new music project, Rocky Colin. Please check out her music at rockycolin.com. As always, you can find me at daybeautiful.net. All of the social media is at daybeautiful. Please subscribe to the podcast and keep checking out the website for more interviews and book recommendations. I hope everyone's staying safe out there. Until next time, I'm Adam, this is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. Yeah, you